it's a great day, ladies and gentlemen. It is International Women's Day. Where's my round of applause? Um, oh, wow. Just crickets. Let's go, <laughs> women. Sorry, just kidding. Yeah, this is fantastic. Women. Uh, thank you. Oh, thank women. you. Women, men, uh, and pigs. Okay. Well, shut up. It's International Women's Day. Uh, to celebrate this most auspicious day, uh, there's a number of things that I'm going to be doing. You know, we've, we've gone through feminism. I now have the ability to work. Fantastic. Love doing that. I can vote. Great. Love it. I can, you know, own land and things. Great. Living in it. Uh, and now, you know, we have this new wave of feminism where I can get an abortion whenever I want and uh, grow my armpit hair out. So working on that, although you wouldn't know it, uh, didn't, didn't feel like bringing that out to you guys today. But to celebrate on the show, you know, I think we really need to put the men in their place today. So from Will and Taylor, I ask of nothing but silence, unless I tell you, you can speak. Okay, Will, you can speak too. I identify Answer. as a woman today. That's... I can't say anything or uh, you'll cancel me. You're transphobic. What is your new Taylor, woman shut name? Up. <laughs> Taylor, What's it? shut up. What's your new female name? Are you going to keep the will thing going on? Um, I'm going to go with Logan. I'm going to go with one of those names as a guy name, Ooh. but girls actually use. Very neutral. Yeah. Okay. And how are you going to be celebrating International Women's Day today? I'm going to go find the next man I see and beat him up because oh. men are pigs. I was and thinking like spit at their feet, you know, when you walk past them. Well, that's not harsh enough. Not I'm harsh enough. Farther. <laughs> farther. I wore my salmon colored shirt. It's salmon. It's it not is. It's not pink. It's salmon. Okay. I wore this shirt today in, in solidarity with all the chicks out there. Uh, chicks like me. Pink is no longer a woman's color, Will. It's I don't not know if pink. you got the memo. <laughs> it's salmon. It's salmon. You really sound There's like a, a woman. <laughs> you really sound like a woman. No, I don't. I mean, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because I am. Happy International uh, Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day. Everybody, welcome to Will and Amala Live. We've got some stories round up for you today, as well as some interviews. We're going to be talking about Stephen Colbert and his comfortability with paying $15 per gallon of gas. I wonder why he's so comfortable with that. we got some memes in response to that. We've got a couple interviews, one with uh, two girls from USC who've created an organization by the name of Taco. I guess you could call this Taco Tuesday, uh, where they are... No laughs for that. <laughs> no laughs. It's International <laughs> Women's Day. I have to laugh. <laughs> you do have yeah. to laugh because it is International yes. Women's Day. It's so funny we forgot uh, to laugh. Yeah, it's so funny they forgot to laugh. More crickets. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> created an organization that is combating uh, drug usage and overdosing uh, on their campus as well as across Los Angeles. And we have an interview with Mark Mills, who's going to be talking about the energy dependency crisis that we're in right now and the relations to that and Ukraine and Russia. So let's get into this Stephen Colbert clip. Uh, here's his response to everything that's happening in regard to Ukraine and Russia and how that's affecting our, our gas and oil prices. Russia has been hit with a series of crippling sanctions, and it looks like there's more to come because the U.S. and its European allies are now discussing banning imports of Russian oil. Take that, Putin. We're not going to buy our gas from a war criminal. We're going to buy it from the good guys, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> But it's going to cost. Since the invasion, oil prices have skyrocketed. Today, the average gas price in America hit an all-time record high of over $4 per gallon. Okay, that stings, but a clean conscience is worth a buck or two. I'm willing to pay. It's important. 
It's important. I'm willing to pay $4 a gallon. Hell, I'll pay $15 a gallon because I drive a Tesla. <laughs> that was just about as funny as my Taco okay, Tuesday joke. <laughs> just about as funny as my joke. Uh, tragic. Yeah, no, of course he's willing to pay $15 per gallon of gas because then he gets to virtue signal about it on his show and he's a rich, well-off man in America. Of course he doesn't care. On International Women's Day, you have the gall. You have the gall, the audacity on such a day to even speak, let alone say something so tone deaf. Jeez. Uh, It's amazing. I've been seeing... Uh, videos of, of citizens on the news talking about how difficult it is to do their jobs now with how gas, gas prices are going up to where, you know, it's uh, I saw a video of a guy who said he's an Uber driver and he's trying to drive around, pick people up. He's trying to do his food deliveries and things. But the cost of gas is so high that it's taking away most of the profits that he's making from his job. But you're OK with fifteen dollars an hour, I mean fifteen dollars a gallon. That's what you're OK with, uh, because you are rich and well off and what worth how many millions of dollars? A hundred hundred million dollars. Dollars. Yeah, no wonder you're okay with gas going up to $15. These people want to have higher gas prices in this country. This is all part of the Great Reset. It is so obvious that this is what is happening. It's all coordinated. All this stuff with climate and, and the centralization of powers and getting rid of fossil fuels, getting rid of natural gas, getting rid of nuclear and ushering in. I mean, we just had the administration today talking about, oh, we need, we need energy independence. We need an energy transition is the exact words that they use. Energy transition away from these other energies. We're going to sanction, we're going to to get rid of Russian oil, Russian crude oil, and only try to have green energy. And our European partners are doing the exact same thing. And this is all part of the plan. This is all part of the plan for the Great Reset. If people can't see it by now and how all of this is working together to to make this when they have lied about everything, I don't know what else to tell you. It it has gotten to a point where it it is blatantly obvious what these people are doing. That yeah. This is all part of the agenda. I mean, energy transition, all that means is getting rid of fossil fuels and natural gas and nuclear so they can usher in this new system of renewable energies that don't work, that have to be subsidized and bankrolled by U.S. taxpayers. Yep. And then you will be reliant and totally dependent on them. And you'll be totally dependent on Stephen Colbert for all the information. And of course, he'll spin it in this positive light light of, yes, we're doing this because we have a good conscience and we don't care how much it affects you because this is good. Even though he actively says, okay, well, we'll we'll just get our gas and oil from Saudi Arabia instead. Uh, He'll never feel the effects of it. And so often it's the people who speak the loudest and who virtue signal the most who will never feel the effects of what they're saying and what they're advocating for. And he's just a prime example of it. And he spent decades now doing this as a career. So it's no surprise to see such a tone deaf analysis of this and to hear him say that he's comfortable with that and and follow it up because I own a Tesla. Are these people there right now? It's at the highest point ever. Gas in this country, on average, highest point ever, about $4.17, I believe. These people would be completely fine if gas was $50 a gallon. And in all honesty, they want gas to be $50 a gallon. They want to cripple you. They want to cripple the U.S. economy. That is what they're doing, cripple the world economies through these sanctions. And they talk about these sanctions that we're doing with Russia and all this stuff. We need to sanction Russia. We need to sanction evil countries. You know that where they sanctioned? They sanctioned Iran. They sanctioned North Korea. And they sanctioned Venezuela. How did that work out for them? Did the, did the people of these countries overthrow their governments because of how bad the sanctions were? Mm-hmm. No. All you did was harm and starve all these innocent civilians in all these countries. U.S. foreign policy when it comes to sanctioning has been terrible and desolate and has hurt millions and millions of people. If you think that they actually care about these people overseas, like the Russian citizens, you think they care about how they're doing? No, of course not. If you think that they care about these people, why on earth would you think that they care about 
the U.S. citizens that they are also hurting. Right. These elites care for no one but themselves. No one. They are fine with charging you up the butt for every single thing that you need because it means nothing to them. They can do it. They can get away with it. And everything's going to be fine for them. They and, literally don't care. They're evil people. And they service a narrative. You're not going to hear anything for the next, what, three years uh, that says anything bad about what's happening in the executive branch right now. That's what's happening right now. No matter what's happening in the background of this country, no matter how bad the, the economy is crashing, and no matter how hard your lives get because of policy prescriptions and, and things that we do here, they will always just clap and cheer on and, and give you that goofy clown-like act about how everything's going to be great. And actually, you should be happy about it. What was it, Washington Post, that put out that article that said, uh, you know, lower your expectations. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, you should just lower your expectations because this is the fight. I know you didn't choose this fight, but now it's your fight. And now it's the one that affects your life. But you should feel good about it. And you should paint the smile on it. And because you are doing something good, you should expect the hardships that come along with that. And they will continue to do that dance because... They can't come out and tell tell the truth. They can't come out and say what's actually happening. They can't come out and be critical of, of the current higher-ups. That's exactly what it is. Right. It's like the video from years ago where Trump was talking to people about, excuse me, in Europe about Russian energy independence. And the people in Germany from the Bundestag, they laughed at him. They laughed at him when he talked about being energy independent away from Russia. And they laughed at him. And now look what's happening. Yeah. I mean, I mean, all of this has been called out before, said before, but these people... They don't care at all. They don't care at all. They know the yeah. solutions. The solutions are right there in front of them. How can anyone say that all of this going on is for moral reasons? None of this is for moral reasons. They're still laughing reasons, at us, though. They're still laughing. Mm -hmm. If it was for moral reasons, they would get up and do something about it because the truth is so obvious right in front of them. Yep. If a nuclear plant slapped them in the face, they still wouldn't know what to do with it. Oh, Yet here I, we are. I saw a really interesting observation on Twitter today by uh, Daniel Horowitz. It said, this is exactly like COVID. It's the same game plan. Uh, you create the virus, block the proper treatment, and then force a false dichotomy of sacrifice. And what have we done? We've manufactured a global energy crisis. We're blocking the thing that can solve it, which mm -hmm. is uh, domestic energy production, nuclear energy. We're leaning into that. And then we're creating this false dichotomy where if you're not willing to sacrifice uh, and pay $15 a gallon, then you're a bad person now. And it's the same thing. It's like this formula over and over again. And what they're effectively doing and each time and time again with this ideological push is punishing in this case, this is punishing the middle class. Um, they the punish poor. the gender ideology mm -hmm. punishes uh, women mm -hmm. and children. Uh, the, the racial justice narrative punishes poor black communities. It's yep. literally the exact opposite of what they think they're doing to help you economically, help you and your your rights as an mm -hmm. individual, etc. They're, they're punishing you and, do, yep. and doing the exact opposite and laughing at you while they do it. Right. If the sacrifices are so important, these sacrifices that we have to make, why don't they have to make these sacrifices? They're fine with putting it on us. We have to make these sacrifices towards our house, to our family, to our cost of living, all this kind of stuff. Why don't you send your sons to go die in Ukraine? If you care about Ukraine so much, send your family to go and die overseas for Ukraine, for a war that you don't even understand, a, a war that you are trying to turn into something huge and crazy that could disrupt all of Europe and you won't even send your sons to die? How dare you? You won't make the sacrifice? Oh, but I have to? Mm. Normal American people, we have to? They want to send our people over to go fight in this war? Mm. Hell no. Right. I'm staying home. <laughs> Jeez. Like, if you won't make the sacrifice for me, Mr. Congressman or Mr. Elitist person, I'm not going to make the sacrifice for you. I am here for America. 
I'm here to stand for this country. It's just like that, that UFC fighter the other day. He was on this viral video, if you guys saw it, where he came and said, you know, if someone came to America and they were invading us and attacking us, I would stick my boots in the mud and I would die fighting for Arkansas. But mm. I'm not going over to Ukraine. I'm mm. not going over to Ukraine for fight. And that's exactly my mantra. If something were to happen here, I'm staying here and fighting till, till the last breath. I will die for my country. I will die for my family, for God, all these different things. But I'm not going over and dying for these people's lies and their greed. Hell no. And no one else should either. Yeah. Till you know the truth, just don't don't feel like you have to fall into these people's trap to feel morally righteous. You don't. You don't. We have no idea what's going on over there. Right. If we ever know the truth. Yeah. Because it's just like so much is coming out and it's just lie after lie, propaganda after propaganda. And some truth slips through there and, and then you're you're chasing another another ball. It's just like it's insane it's it, to even look at this and all of its in all of its craziness and, and lunacy and lies and, and think you know anything is just uh, beyond me i was incredibly narcissistic it's i mean i'm coming out and saying i don't know this stuff going on mm -hmm. but these american politicians and bureaucrats in washington come and think that they have all the answers they're foreign pol foreign policy experts mm -hmm. I mean, what they know nothing you're supposed yeah. to be the foreign blinken and these other guys are supposed to be a foreign policy expert and you know absolutely nothing talking about a green light of giving of uh, uh giving american jets to poland you want to give american jets to poland to then give to ukraine to go fight against russia that is a, a, essentially an act of war that you are putting america as an actor in this war by providing them with jet planes to go and kill russians that is what you are doing I mean, you are escalating things and, and not caring about the consequences. You feel morally bad for the people of Ukraine. Of course, people dying, getting invaded. It's a horrible thing. Everyone should be able to get behind that. But to say that, 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 that this is now America's number one moral cause that we have to be worried about and, and mm -hmm. change our entire world and mm -hmm. let people suffer price of food going up, price of oil going up, price of energy, housing, all this stuff going up because of it. That's nonsense yep. because the elites who are talking about it, who want you to feel this way, don't have to make any sacrifices. You do. I'm not making sacrifices for any of these people. And notice with every single bit of turmoil that comes out and there will be something after this, they'll be experts then too. And they'll tell you exactly what you need to do. And they'll have the policy prescription for you and your lifestyle and, and all the sacrifices that you should make. And they'll feel so bad that it's going to be so hard for you, but it's a sacrifice that they'll be willing to take. Yeah. Every single time. It was so sad to have to lock you guys in your homes, but it was a, a sacrifice I was willing to make. Right. It was so sad to ask you for your Vax Pass when you came to restaurants, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to take. It was so sad to keep your kids out of school, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Right. Every single time, at every single turn, that's what you'll find. Especially when we're locked into an apartment with three screaming kids who don't get to go to school while they have private tutors in a mansion yep. in a heated pool, and, they, and, and they're not making any sort of sacrifices, but we are. That's exactly what it is. It's exactly, exactly what it is. And then they have the money to invest in things that are going into developments and big tech and all sorts of stuff where normal people don't have that. Right. They don't have that. But they want us to sacrifice. And I, I don't know why I would sacrifice for someone who literally hates me. You know? These people hate us. They despise us. They think we're, we're lesser people. It's like the way the people who are, you know, some PhD people look at people who are plumbers or never got a college education. They look at you as a lesser type of person. This is a, a, a class a class struggle. This is now a, a class. Uh, that's what this is about. It's the elites versus us. 
It's not Republican, Democrat, it's elites versus us. Yeah, and it's been that way for quite some time. Yes. Now, a lot of you are watching this and hearing about energy dependency and the crisis and what's happening between Russia and Ukraine, and you're confused about that. We brought on uh, what we would consider to be an expert in these matters. His name is Mark Mills. I got to do an interview with him, and here is that for you guys. Let's get educated. Okay, everybody. So we have a very special guest on the show today. You've been hearing a lot about the Ukrainian-Russia conflict all over the news, all over social media. Everybody is talking about it. And uh, a term that I keep hearing swirling around this conversation is energy energy dependency. And it's something that I think we need to discuss when we're talking about Ukraine and Russia. However, I will admit at the ripe age of 21 years old, I am not an energy expert when it comes to that or our relationship between the U.S. and Russia and Ukraine and Russia. So we brought on somebody who we view as an expert to talk about this issue. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a faculty member at Northwestern University and author of his newest book, The Cloud Revolution, Mr. Mark Mills. Mark, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm not going to confess my age, but I'm older than you. And I'm, I'm, just in a minor correction, I'm not a faculty member. I'm a faculty fellow at Northwestern oh, University, which gotcha. is a, it's an honorific. But I have the honor of talking to and working with the faculty members. So it's a good thing. Oh, well, good fantastic. Thing. Okay. So so we're, we're associated there. Exactly. Uh, Mark. I want to I want to jump off off the base here and start talking about things that I I was personally confused about when yeah. when looking into this and I think a lot of our viewers are are confused about how much of the world is truly dependent on Russia for energy and why is this the case? Well, the case is a result of energy policies of the last two or three decades. So these these uh, sudden discoveries don't happen overnight. It takes it takes years, decades to build infrastructures of all kinds. It takes a long time. So decisions that were made many, many years ago, before the current president, before the past president, uh, also by the current past presidents. These are these are long-run decisions. Russia mm -hmm. is one of the three world's biggest producers of critical energy for the world, oil, gas, and coal. And this is the, this is the thing to keep in mind. We hear a lot of talking about alternative energy. 84% oh, of all the world's energy is produced by hydrocarbons, oil, gas, and coal. That's a decrease of just two percentage points from 20 years ago in the Western world spending $5 trillion to avoid using hydrocarbons. Mm -hmm. So we're still very dependent. Russia is one of the biggest exporters to the world. And Europe in particular is deeply dependent on Russian oil, gas, and coal, Germany especially. If Russia cut off oil and gas supplies to Europe, lights would go out. I mean, this is not a economic inconvenience this is a profound, uh, uh, you know, social, moral uh, impact, and that's just the way the world is. It's not, I'm not saying we can't and shouldn't cut off their oil exports. It has mm -hmm. huge consequences, and it would also dramatically increase the cost of oil and gas around the world because they're such a big supplier. Gotcha. Okay, so having all that in mind when it comes to this energy problem, do you have a set of policy prescriptions for what we can do to sort of mitigate this and, and find our way through this? Because it seems obviously like a, a detrimental position to be in. It's not, it's not a good position to be in. We're, <laughs> Europe in particular, and again, the whole world is dependent on Russian production of oil, gas, and also of many other uh, commodities, minerals, copper, it's essential for electric cars, wheat, um, and palladium, gold. So there are, there are big uh, minerals and energy producing country. My recommendation now is not unlike what Elon Musk tweeted last week, sort of mm -hmm. think of it as the tweet heard around the world. He said, we need to start producing more oil and gas 
immediately. So how would we do that? It's not that easy. We could do a lot of things. It would require uh, not just asking oil and gas producers in the West, especially the United States, it would be required taking policy steps that were conducive to that. So my one policy recommendation is an easy one. The government could call a summit of energy producers and ask mm -hmm. them the question you'd ask to me, because they know the answer. What would it take to do what Elon Musk said? Immediately increase oil and gas production. That's the question that needs to be asked. Okay, okay. So I, I, a lot of people are going to hear what you're saying and what Elon Musk is saying about uh, producing oil and gas, and they're going to go, absolutely not. We need more <laughs> renewable energy. I love that Green New Deal that sure. that young lady proposed, and that's what I want to see. You know, we need to X all of this out of our economy and out of our production. What do you say to that? And are renewables reliable enough to, to fix this problem? And if so, what would the timeline even look like on something like that? Well, you've asked the question that sort of answers itself. They aren't, re aren't reliable enough, and we don't have enough of them. And it's taken mm. 20 years and $5 trillion of expansion of wind, solar, and alternatives to oil and gas to reduce our dependence on them by only two percentage points. And in that time period, the increased production of oil and gas from America's shale fields, the independent producers in America, they've added over 300% more energy to the world just from America, that all of the wind and solar plants and all the planet combined. So mm. this is not an either or. This is, this is the problem. We've set up this uh, false dichotomy. The world cannot do without oil and gas for a long, long time. We need more of both. So I'm not proposing an anti-wind, anti-EV. I mean, think again, Elon Musk has said we have to drill more oil and gas. He's, he's a smart guy and he's right. He's not saying abandon electric cars and nor am I, but you have to look at the numbers and deal with the facts as they are. And those are the facts that we're dealing with now with respect to calls to sanction Russian oil and gas. We could do that. We could say, we're not gonna buy it. That would cause prices to go up. We could decide to accept that. And they would mm -hmm. go up a lot, not 10 or 20%, probably 100 to 200%, huge increases. I'd, I I love the logic and facts that you're using. Unfortunately, the people who make these arguments are not interested in them. Well, uh, sometimes they are. They just have the sometimes. facts wrong. That's what, that's the problem. It is. It is. It's it's quite unfortunate to to continue to hear these narratives as all of this is happening in the background. Where. A lot of people see what's happening right now and they go, this is far too confusing for me. I don't know anything about energy. I don't know how it affects the economy. I don't know how it affects the relationships between different countries. Where does one start when, when trying to look into these issues and educate themselves? Well, that's uh, another important question. It's not easy because the hyperbole and the narratives, the you know agendas that people have. And every, look, everybody has some agenda, right? I mean, I have an agenda. I'd like to believe I'm trying to preach the gospel of the truth. That's, that's been my goal. But you, you people would say, well, you have an agenda. That's true. Uh, I have a different agenda than those who think we should abandon oil and gas and coal. I think that's a mistake. I think it's not technically possible. But where do you, where do you get the information? We can use, you know, Dr. Google. <laughs> and what you have to be careful, one has to be careful of is looking at who's writing the piece, where they come from, and read for information and facts. And it's, you know, it's, it's work. I, I, I grant, I grant that it's not easy. And sloganeering is easy. We've always, you know, America is a, a country that's long had debates and slogans always matter. So, you know, right. we have this juxtaposition of, of, uh, you know, green energy, which 
is a, is a really a misnomer. It gives a sense that it's free of all the complications of producing oil and gas. Green energy isn't. You have to dig minerals up and build machines. You even have to use oil, gas, and coal to make the green machines. So it's not, you know, it's not what it sounds like. Similarly, you know, the drill baby drill, like somehow this is the only solution. Obviously, it's not. We, we, right. we, we're going to need electric cars. Uh, there's a lot more people in the world that don't have a car. They'll want a car. We need lots of options. So that's a long answer to the question that I could say, read what I've written. Sure. Uh, you know, Google Mark P. Mills, you'll find dozens and dozens of things I've written. But I, what I try to provide is citations to primary sources for the data, as opposed to just an exhortation that, you know, you can't count on wind and solar. Of course you can't. Uh, then can you use batteries? Well, yeah, of course you can store energy in batteries. Mm. How much would it cost? How much does it really cost? What does it cost today? How fast can it get cheaper? And not that it, things don't get cheaper in the future. Of course they do, right? But how much more expensive is it today? And look for the real numbers, you know, let's just say in primary sources. Look, the International Energy Agency is actually a good place to go. The, the International Energy Agency was an organization created after the Arab oil embargo of 1973 to provide data information for the world's energy economies. And they provide very honest information. They really do. They're advocates of the transition away from oil, gas, and coal. They're promoting that. But at the same time as they promote that, they publish very honest data about what I just said early on, that the world is very dependent on oil and gas and coal today and will be very dependent for many, many decades yet. And that's coming from the International Energy Agency, which is advocating accelerating a movement away from oil, gas, and coal. So right. it's a good place to go because it's hard to argue with you know, the international body that's advocating a, quote, transition to things other than hydrocarbons. You are just a, a well of information, I feel. <laughs> well, this is amazing. Were, were you making a pun there with that well thing? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> just checking. We I, need to have you on. We need more comedy on this show. <laughs> it's a pretty serious time. You have to make light of some things. It, oh, we're my really gosh, in a, I know. We're really in a pickle. Look. The world, if the world decides to sanction oil and gas from Russia, uh, here's here's just a fact: it'll cause oil and gas prices to go up. So instead of four dollar gallon gasoline around much of the country, it'll be eight or nine. Right. That, that could easily happen. I don't think that's a good thing, but it won't take money away from Vladimir Putin because we've exactly. sanctioned countries like Iran before, and they sell oil and gas in the black market. China will buy the oil and gas. Pakistan will. Other African nations will, and they'll buy it at a discount because they're selling it to circumvent our sanctions. But the money will still go to Putin's companies and to his economy. The money will flow. The oil and gas will still flow, but it'll become expensive for everybody else for that that symbol. I'm not saying we won't we won't do that symbolic ban. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it shouldn't be done politically. Maybe it has to be done, but we better be very honest about the consequences of this, because the world is deeply dependent on oil, gas, and coal. Right. It's a reality that we we have to face, and we cannot continue to ignore or gloss over uh, right. for the sake of, of virtue or, or uh, you know, just spinning a narrative. And I appreciate you coming on and, you know, providing nuance to this issue, because, again, it's very complicated. I do this for a living, and I look into this, and I get confused. <laughs> so uh, do not uh, fret to all the people who are watching this right now and who are maybe coming out of this and going, okay, I know a little bit more, but I'm still not there yet, because there is so much to know. So, Mark, I want to thank you for coming on. How can people support you and find more of what you have to say on these subject matters? 
Well, the main support is read, just to read what I'm writing. It's all free. <laughs> so you can, you can go to Fantastic. get Dr. Google again and you write in Mark P. Mills and all kinds of stuff will come up. You can go to the Manhattan Institute's website to find links to my studies and my articles. And of course, I've written a new book, which I have to promote when you write a book called, yes. <laughs> called, the, called the Cloud Revolution, which is about the exciting new technologies that are really changing the world for the better. Uh, and I'm not naive that, and in fact, in the book, I predicted, and I didn't want to predict that there will be more wars. There were always more wars. Mm. It's very tragic. Mm. But technology advances despite wars. We have to resolve wars politically. You can't resolve them. Now, obviously, technology is used in wars. So right. uh, I, I'm happy to say I read about energy in my new technology book as well. Some of these truths are there. Uh, and I provide a, a very optimistic look at the long run. But in the short term, Boy, it's it's um, it's a tragic mess in in Ukraine. Oh, that it is, and I think we're we're still going to be grappling with it and learning. So I appreciate you for coming on, people. Please go and support Mr. Mark Mills here. Listen to what he has to say. Read what he is writing, and and support him because these are the people who are going to lead the frontier in getting us educated. It's something that we need uh, more, now more than ever uh, in an unfortunate space where a lot of people are willing to act like experts on these issues, and and they're they're not. So, Mark, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing your time with us. Thanks for having me. It's uh, a pleasure to help try to edumacate people, so to speak. <laughs> right. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> what a great interview. What a great guy is what I always say coming what out of guy. these interviews. What a guy, huh? We meet so many fantastic people. Speaking of great guys, Taylor, you said we got a super chat while this interview is going. We did. Are you going to read it or am I? You're going to read it because I don't have it. All right. This is from Asher. Asher says, I'm 13 and homeschooled. It's good. I am homeschooled. Otherwise, I would miss miss the show. You guys are my favorite new show. I watch Dennis and Glenn Beck. So that's saying a lot. Oh. LOL. Will, you are one of the most influential people in my life. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Asher. What about me, Asher, huh? It's International Women's Day, Asher. (laughs) It's International Women's Day, Asher. You're supposed to compliment me. Gotta go watch some uh, Ann Coulter and Megyn Kelly today. Will identifies as a woman now, so. I do. You did technically compliment a woman. Asher, that really does mean a lot. It does. It does. To know that our videos and the things we talk about are reaching so many people, changing people's lives. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. It's not about us. It's about... It's about all of you guys. So thank you for continuing to support us with everything and always watching the show. Thank you guys. And at such a young age, that's very impressive. When I was 13, I don't know what I was doing, but it definitely was not anything along these lines. Pokemon and uh, getting bullied. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You were 13 like last week. Yeah, Yeah. that is true. Yeah, exactly. You were doing the show. Yeah. I was doing my interview for Prairie Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. Uh, Guys, we've been doing coverage intermittently about the drug crisis in America, particularly as it pertains to fentanyl crossing the southern border with illegal immigration. And it's something, you know what, I will admit, I don't think we've talked about enough because it is quite a pervasive problem the more that I look into it. Uh, So we wanted to bring on some people who are trying to fight uh, this battle here in Los Angeles. Uh, They run an organization called TACO, T-A-C-O, and they are doing this across Los Angeles, helping people get educated about drug use, as well as trying to prevent drug overdoses. So I'll leave it to these two young ladies to explain exactly what it is that they do. Here we go. 
Guys, we have special guests on the show today, two young women who are leading the charge in combating drug abuse and overdose here in Los Angeles and hopefully nationwide soon. We talk about this not very often on the show, sort of this new introduction of fentanyl into the drug use space and the abuse of that uh, leading to overdoses, not just here in California, but across America. We've also seen fentanyl crossing the southern border uh, with illegal immigration. And it's a concerning issue that I think we should be talking about a lot more, considering that it is a leading cause of death for people around the ages of 18 to 45. It's something that we need to be talking about and is not being addressed by leadership here in this country. So to Today, I've brought to you two young women who are leading this charge here in Los Angeles. They are founders of an organization called TACO, Team Awareness Combating Overdose. We have Isabella Giannatempo and Madeline Hilliard. Thank you guys so much for being on the program. Thank you so much, Amla. It's great to be here. So happy to be here. Oh, it's awesome. This is a pleasure. So let's let's start off uh, getting at the heart of the issue. What exactly is happening with drug use in America and specifically with fentanyl? I think a lot of people hear that term and they're not super familiar with its usage, what people are doing and how it's affecting particularly young people in this country. Yeah. So what fentanyl is, is it's a synthetic opioid. And why the synthetic part is important is because it can be lab manufactured. So it's much less expensive to produce than um, opiates like Percocet or Oxycontin or even heroin um, or morphine. It's very, very inexpensive. At the same time, it's also 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. So it's extremely potent. And the reason why it's become such an issue is because of that potency. It only takes two milligrams. It's about two grains of sand worth to kill the average person. And so what we're seeing is it has infiltrated our drug supply in the United States at increasing rates. Um, and the reason why we're here to combat that is because it's causing so many deaths. Of the 100,000 drug-related deaths that there were last year, 64% of them involved fentanyl. So we really want to combat that with a number of methods that we can talk a little bit about. But we're here to say this is an issue. This is something that needs to be addressed. We can't just sweep it under the table because it's uncomfortable to talk about young people using drugs. It's not what parents want, of course. And we understand that. But our primary mission is to make sure that nobody dies of drug use. Amazing. I, I love to hear that. And again, yeah, it's something that people are not addressing. And it's it's really confusing to me as to why, because it truly is a, a pervasive issue. Like I said, leading cause of death in ages 18 to 45. And we have pounds and pounds of this stuff crossing the southern U.S. border. What is it that led the two of you to recognize this problem here in Los Angeles and, and think I need to do something about it? Is this a particular experience or a personal experience that you had? Is it just something that you recognized in your community? What launched this? It certainly is a personal experience uh, throughout our years at USC, University of Southern California, which I graduated from last year. It says a fourth year undergraduate. We were seeing a number of deaths, over 10 deaths each year due to drug use. Now, I do want to clarify that the number one cause of drug-related deaths is combined drug use, mixing more than one substance. However, so many of those do involve fentanyl, and it often is accidental ingestion of fentanyl with something like cocaine or something like a fake Percocet pill that leads to these deaths. So we were seeing students overdose on these drugs, which is a completely preventable cause of death. It's the leading preventable cause of death. And so we wanted to start an organization to make our fellow students and make our community aware of the 
how drugs work, what the risks involved are, how to mitigate those risks so that we could decrease overall drug harm. And one thing I want to say, too, is that USC um, wasn't doing anything to help this problem. Like uh, Madeline mentioned, there were just so many deaths. One semester in fall 2019, there were over nine deaths, um, six deaths wow. that were drug related. And USC really didn't do much and kind of swept it under the rug. And we were really sick and tired of that. And we decided that we wanted to use the knowledge we had with our neuroscience degrees to be able to educate our fellow peers because people listen to their peers. And so we wanted to use what we'd learned to be able to educate people um, using the science. That's an amazing thing that you're doing. I, I wanted to hit on something that you said, and I think it's very important. You said preventable. That's an extremely important word when we're talking about this. Let's talk about prevention. What can what can one do to prevent this from happening to them or, you know, uh, the, the conversations that we're having now in the U.S. using drugs safely and, and, and actually being able to check drugs if there is fentanyl in them? Is there something that the average person can do to mitigate this? Yeah, so our organization prevents drug harms on three different levels. So step one, and it's really our bread and butter, what we got started with was, as Issa said, we are getting our degrees, or I got my degree in neuroscience. Um, the majority mm-hmm. of our team, we have a large research team in TACO that produces drug education based purely on academic research. So everything we publish is based on published peer-reviewed literature. And that's step one. If someone is going to consider using a drug, especially for the first time, we want them to go read this information that we take from the research format and put it into easily digestible plain English. And that way they can fully understand risks, benefits, how they can mitigate it before they choose to do the drug. And that way they have a full awareness of whether or not they want to engage. So that's step one. Step two is if they do want to engage We encourage everybody to test their drugs for fentanyl, any drug that did not come from your pharmacy. Um, Now, if it's marijuana in California, that does come from a legally regulated dispensary that can kind of go under the pharmacy category. But anything else outside of that, if it did not come from your pharmacy, it has to be tested for fentanyl. So our organization fundraises for is to provide free or largely subsidized fentanyl test strips. So that way users can test their drugs before they take them to ins- to try to ensure that there's no fentanyl in them. Now, the step three is that's before they use the drug, right? Say that someone does use the drug and either they didn't test it or they didn't follow the instructions correctly and the test didn't work right, etc then they overdose on fentanyl. We also provide free naloxone, otherwise known as Narcan, and train the general public, train our fellow students on how to administer Narcan so that in the event they do witness an overdose, they know what to do and they're prepared to respond so that no lives need to be lost. Amazing. What is the general feedback that you're getting on this? I can hear a lot of people uh, just in, in the back of my mind right now saying, you know, you shouldn't be teaching people how to use drugs safely. And, and why are you giving them naloxone and Narcan? If, if they overdose, they overdose. Have you gotten responses like that? And if so, what do you what do you respond to people like that? Yeah, I mean, it's been frustrating. We always respond by saying that we are a neutral organization, so we neither encourage nor condemn drug use. Um, But if we do go by the old school of thought of just say no to drugs, people are going to continue dying. It's one of the reasons why overdose is the leading cause of death in the United States for those age 18 to 45. So we're taking a different approach and we're not going to say you should do this or you shouldn't do that. We're going to provide any and all information and resources needed so people can make their own informed decisions. We don't care if people do drugs. We just want them to do do them safely. We don't want people to die from drugs. 
Um, so we just keep reiterating that, that it's not about the them actually doing drugs. It's about them doing it safely and ensuring that there's no more deaths. We don't need more people dying from this. Um, you know, you can tell people, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. They're always going to do it. Mm-hmm. We can't prevent that. We can prevent them dying from it. So that is exactly what we're trying to do. Um, we have received, obviously, some of that feedback. But we've also received an overwhelming um, amount of positive feedback. So people really love what we're doing, love that we're starting these conversations. We have like literally saved hundreds of lives and it's really rewarding knowing that people are supporting us. One thing that's great at the end of the day, as hard as it is for people to wrap their heads around the do drugs safely, how we think about it is ultimately every parent just wants their child to wake up in the morning. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're here to ensure. Right. Fantastic. Uh, One last question before we get into how people can support you and what you're doing. Do you have any uh, positive stories or a singular story that you can share with people uh, to talk about how important it is the work that you're doing on these on these campuses and across L.A.? Definitely. We actually do get reports back from people who have used our fentanyl test chips and gotten positives on the drugs that they were testing. And what that means is one person getting a positive that could mean just one person's life was saved, but say that's a bag of cocaine that eight, 10 people were going to do that had fentanyl in it. And they found that out before they did it. That's eight to 10 lives that were saved that their families, the people who care about them, all of those people had to avoid, they got to avoid the suffering of having an overdose come into their life. Um, so we see that also with the Narcan training we do, we have gotten multiple reports back of people actually using that Narcan to reverse an overdose. So it, it actually is very effective. And overall, what we've seen from the extremely high numbers of overdoses we used to have at USC, those have drastically dropped. There's not been a single fentanyl overdose at USC since our organization started. So it truly is preventable. And we're here to be that proof. Wow. I, I really have I really have very little words for you. It's, it is speechless. I am speechless. Uh, you know, I, so often I hear from people who watch the show and see all of these social issues that are happening right now. Uh, and, and we don't focus on drug abuse enough, but uh, it's something we should definitely be talking about. But they feel helpless and they feel like there's nothing that we can do and that the hierarchy is just so, so structurally set that there's nothing that they can do for their community. So it's an amazing thing to hear two young women coming forward and saying, you know what? No, we're going to do something about this. If USC is not going to do anything about this, if the government's not going to do anything about this, we will lead the charge in doing that. And I know a lot of people are going to hear this from you all and want to support you. How can they do that? Yeah, we really we really appreciate any and all support. Um, there are numerous ways to support us. So I would say the easiest way you can support us is following us on our social media accounts, specifically Instagram. It costs zero dollars. Um, our handle is at Taco Inc, T-A-C-O-I-N-C with an underscore there at the end. Um, that is mainly how, you know, by what Madeline said, we distribute all of our research-backed information. So if anyone is curious about what a drug does in the body, what happens when you combine certain drugs, how to use naloxone slash Narcan, what it is, we talk about a range of different topics and, you know, you can send it to a friend, you can send it to a family member, you can keep it for yourself. So that's one of the main ways you can support us. Um, we also accept donations via our, via our website at tacoinc.org. You can also Venmo us at Taco Inc. Um, and we can, of course, send you all this afterwards and you can uh, link it in the description. And there are so many ways to support us. And like Madeline said, we do provide free um, fentanyl testing strips. They're extremely subsidized. 
Um, so that is essentially what all of our funding goes to is buying these thousands of test strips that we are able to give to the community for free. So um, we appreciate any money we can get. One dollar equals one life-saving test strip. So keep that in mind. You could save not only one life, but like Madeline said, it could be up to 10 lives or just one test strip. So we appreciate any any help we can get. And um, it would be super wonderful. You know, you could follow us on Instagram, follow us on our social media platforms and potentially donate to us. And for anyone who's listening, who is at in the university environment and is thinking to themselves, I wish my school had a program like this, we are opening up chapters of TACO. So if you are interested in starting a chapter of TACO at your school to help distribute test strips, to help distribute naloxone um, and really push forward this issue and start to bring down those drastically high overdose numbers for our age group, you can also contact us on our website, tacoinc.org, and help set up a chapter at your school to really start saving lives in your community. Fantastic. You both are amazing. And I, I don't need to tell you that, but I'm sure our audience is going to take care of that in the chat down below. Again, all the links and all the ways that you can support them will be down in the description below. Thank you so much for bringing on this powerful message and showing people that they can do something about the problems in their community. It's really been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Thanks Omar. for having really us. Appreciate you. We appreciate your time. Great. What great girls. <laughs> It is truly uh, a fantastic thing. And I hope that you guys recognize uh, exactly what they said, that USC was experiencing multiple deaths per year. And since their organization has began, they have not had a single one. Uh, That is an amazing thing to accomplish, especially at such a young age when your university and the government at large is not doing anything about problems that you've brought to your to their attention. Yeah, it's super important issue, actually. I mean, I went to Boulder. And you guys know anything about Boulder. I mean, I, I dealt with kids doing stupid drug stuff all the time. So no stranger to anything like that. And it truly is a, a real issue, something really happening. The drugs coming over the southern border, no one seems to care about the invasion happening there. Uh, it's only moral outrage other places. So, yep. yeah, it's a huge deal. Huge, huge deal. So, yeah, these are the women we'll celebrate on International Women's Day. How about that? How about them apples? Now, here's a woman I'm not particularly going to be celebrating on International Women's Day. I will give a warning. If there are any young people watching right now, there is a singular curse word in this TikTok here. Uh, I'll try to pause it before we get there, but I might not be able to. This is her view on feminism and fat phobia. Here we go. A little PSA for the girlies that hop on this app and do like the latest gross weekly body checking trend or do a what I eat in a day and flash their abs or just generally fish for compliments that they are in fact not fat. Come here. Stop doing free labor for the patriarchy. The hierarchy of bodies where one is considered the best, that was designed by men. Like maybe you've noticed that hetero was it really was it really designed by men no i'm pretty sure it's just de- de- designed by health standards and it is objectively healthier and better for you and you will function better as a human being uh if you are fitter you eat well and you have a certain body shape now is there a, a spectrum within that shape of what your body should look like or or uh, what is considered healthy absolutely but it's certainly not being morbidly obese I think we can all agree. Are we allowed to talk on this segment or? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure oh yeah, sorry. I give you both permission to talk on this segment. Will, do you agree? Of course I can. <laughs> Anything a woman says today, I agree with. <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's continue here. She has a little bit more to say. Again, language warning. Heterosexual men have an incredibly narrow definition of what's attractive and heterosexual women have like a much broader one. 
That's by design. If your feminism does not include fighting fat phobia and body liberation, it's not. F- it's not blanking feminism. Let's get another wing of the patriarchy. <laughs> Got it. And there might come a day where you <gasps> gain weight and you're still going to need feminism then. Because if you think men are awful when you're thin, oof. I got really bad news for you. You don't need to trash other body types to make you feel good about yourself. Men do enough of that. A little. Oh, you guys do enough of that. You horrible, horrible men. Disgusting. I keep reading things online about like those uh, dudes posting their W's. You guys know that account. Yeah, yeah, Very popular account on Twitter where it's like a guy is like, my friend fat shamed me and now I lost all this weight and I'm super buff. Mm Mm-hmm. Just saying. Results. Results. (laughs) But that's not even, you know, it's one thing to be like, you're fat, you're ugly, lose weight or whatever. Okay, I I see how that could be seen as harsh. But I have a feeling what this woman would describe as fat phobic is me coming on this program and saying it is not good to be morbidly obese. It is not good to be a person who is overweight. It is not healthy for you and it's not good for you in the long run. They would look at you and go, you're fat shaming, you're bullying, you're saying something horrific. Just saying the truth. It's just the truth. Yeah, ne- just the truth. never mind that eighty percent of COVID deaths were among obese people. Right. It's this, you know, not hurting feelings is much more important, and pushing this ideology is much more important. Right. It's like we're saving feelings instead of saving lives. Exactly. And you're not even saving feelings because these people are so weak that regardless of what anyone else says, until they have your complete dominance or complete uh, submission, submission <laughs> they're going to be emotionally scarred anyway. So. They're just emotionally weak people. You're emotionally weak if this is if you are trying to make someone conform to the way that you want them to talk. If you can't handle what other people say, you are an emotionally weak person. Yeah. And her whole argument of, oh, like women have a spectrum of what they're attracted to, but men have a very finite idea of what they're attracted to. What? You realize that we would not be reproducing if that was the case. You know, men would not be meeting women and women would not be meeting men and then getting married and having children if that was truly the case. If we didn't both have spectrums of what we're attracted to. I'm sure you see different couples walking around all the time. And for that to be the case, it means that men have a spectrum of what they're attracted to as well. Nobody's trying to X you out of the market of dating or getting married or anything like that. They're just saying that being overweight and and having a high BMI is typically not good for you. It's actually something very helpful to learn. (laughs) Right. And also, like, if a man really cares about his body, he's really fit and healthy, and you are obese, then yeah, he probably doesn't want you. That's just how it is. If you're on the opposite side and you're a a man who's very obese and a woman's fit or skinny, she probably doesn't want you either. So if you're looking for someone of a different body type, then set your standards higher and take care of yourself. Yeah. And that is often what I see is like, oh, you know, the top 20 percent of men do not want women who look obese or or, or or even morbidly obese. And you even see people on TikTok because it's just such a cesspool of a platform saying, you know, if you say that you're not attracted to people who are fat or larger, you are offensive and you're a bigot. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on now. It's like, now I have to be attracted to you? Like, yep. it's not even just accepting you. I have to now be attracted to you. Yep. It's like the same with the trans people. Yep. It's like, oh, I'm not attracted to a woman with a penis. I'm transphobic. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Like, I I can't just say, oh, do what you want. No, now I have to be attracted to you. Now I have to want to have sex with you. That's just insanity. It's insanity. You can't force me to do that. You can't control what's in my mind and my thoughts when it comes to that. Right. And it's just not going to happen. It's not. 
It's I'm nonsense. Sorry. These people speak nonsense and they're yeah. so emotionally weak. And they will continue to do so. But I'm just, I'm telling you guys, that's never going to land. It's not going to land. Uh, as, as many body positivity movements as you push forward, you know, the outcome is still going to be the same. And what is objectively true will always be the same. You know, you're not going to be able to make being morbidly obese healthy. Right. And, and, and never. You can always push people to do certain things. You can push their 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 actions. You can make them do certain things. You can make them say certain things. But you can't force them to believe something unless it's complete yeah. brainwashing. But you can't just you you can't just make someone that is instinctual and and just how people are rewire everything about them really. Right. So if people don't want to find you attractive, just can't do anything about that. It's well, just how it is. Guess what, Will. This next one's a message for you for International Women's Day. Finally. If you are a man, the greatest gift you can give a woman today on International Women's Day is silence. I don't want to see a single podcast coming from y'all today. Your podcast was scheduled to drop today. Cancel it. Will, you've already you're already on this girl's bad side. Uh, Let's continue. (laughs) Not today. Today's silence. International Women's Day. Men. Don't speak. If you were. Wow. What a powerful message. I love feminism. You know what I have to say that? What? (laughs) I'm going to say whatever I want. Wow. That was really good. (laughs) That's my mature message. That was such a good rebuttal. Yeah. (laughs) Take that. No, it's like, it's so stupid. Come on. Look at that. That's modern day feminism, ladies and gentlemen. Don't drop a podcast. Don't speak today. Be silent on yeah. International Women's Day. Yeah. Do you want like all of our world leaders to not speak? Yep. Sorry, lady. We're gonna podcast even harder today. Yeah. Exactly. You. If the men don't speak, then the women aren't going to be getting complimented, and then they're going to be passive aggressive <laughs> to the men the next day. So it's just like we can't win. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm- she'll be like, "Why didn't you? Why didn't you call me beautiful yesterday?" Well, it was International Women's Day. I wasn't supposed to speak. It's like, that's <laughs> hey, not an excuse. Up, be silent. You know? Yeah. I mean, you're not you're wrong. Upset, upset with you. You're not wrong. You know? I might have to use that with the wife tonight in case I make any <clears> mistakes. <throat> Just, yeah. I mean, I wasn't supposed to say anything today. Yeah. 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 Why didn't you choose where dinner was yesterday? Oh, you yeah. could choose for International she Women's Day. She just sits Day. there and just doesn't eat because she can't decide yeah, what exactly. restaurant to go to. You no, know, she starves to death. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> All I got to say is it's been a fantastic year for me. I got half of Black History Month, considering... Not only is today International Women's Day, but this month is Women's History Month. Right. So uh, life is great. Life is good for me. I'm chilling. Uh, do you guys have a day or a month or anything like that? Um, when is uh, anti-vax Putin shill month? <laughs> that's, I'm just waiting. I think that's August. I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So just around the bend. I'm not sure how you celebrate something like that, but I'm sure it's coming. Uh <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Don't know. You drink all the Russian vodka that's er- yes, that everybody's Moscow thrown away. And, yeah. 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 This next one is how to approach exploring gender identity with your kids. Because I know we're all wondering, you know, if only I had a guidebook, if only I had a leading question to ask my kids to get them to explore their gender identity. Well, now you do. Do you want a super easy and trick question to exploring gender identity with your kids? Try this. Do you sometimes feel more like a girl or more like a boy or maybe them both or neither? Do you want a super... Wow. Really profound. That's it? Yep. Is that what you're going to ask your kids when you have them? No. No. 
Uh, yeah, I don't want a super easy question. You know, it's even easier than this. Not confusing your kids with gender ideology. That's even easier than asking them this question. Mm-hmm. You just have to be silent. Like the lady in the first video said you should be, you right. know, it's such an easy task. And what does it mean? Please explain on this most auspicious day as international women's day. I believe this is a woman, although she might have they, them pronouns. Uh, please explain to me what it means to feel like a woman or feel like a man. Because, what is a woman? Yeah, they've yet to be able to identify right. what, what that even woman? means. Yeah. Because again, gender roles don't exist, but also you can feel like a boy or feel like a girl, or it, as she just said, you can feel like neither. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like neither? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answers to this question. I don't know the answers to any of this Maybe my mom should have asked this to me because I obviously don't know the answer to any of these questions. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't get asked this as a child. I would have been very, very confused. Exactly. Immediately. Of course. But that's the point. It's it is supposed the to be point. confusing. It's supposed to be confusing. It is, it grooming. is grooming. Exactly. It's exactly they want, right. They, they have a predetermined, they want you to say anything besides, I feel like the what corresponds to my biological sex, so that immediately they can affirm you in who you are and take you down this path of gender ideology. And that's confusing. So that's like, oh, you feel like neither? Oh, you must be uh, non-binary. And so let me teach you about that and let me start indoctrinating you with this ideology. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, we've seen the outcomes that happen and you're on TikTok making your confused videos crying because someone misgendered you or you're telling you what your pronouns are this week or how your multiple personalities all have different pronouns. And that's right. literally what this generation is doing. And it's because this this is starting earlier and earlier and uh, no bueno. Yeah, man, I saw a TikTok the other day of this woman talking about how her pronouns are they, them, and she's trying to get her four-year-old to to nicely like say her pronouns. And every time she corrects her four-year-old, her four-year-old goes, ugh, they. <laughs> it's like, dude, your four-year-old knows what's up. And she's trying to tell you something. Your four-year-old recognizes a binary system and is trying to alert you to the fact that that's real. And then you're like, ugh, she, you know, she'll get there. Uh, one of these days I'll brainwash her enough into, into making a grammatically incorrect use of my pronouns. Mm-hmm. She'll get there once I ground her for not knowing her pronouns. Right. Gosh. If you want, want to know how to talk to your kids about gender identity, tell them that any of these types of people are filthy communists and they should not be listened to at all because that's what they are. Yeah, your five-year-old's going to be like, Mrs. Smith, daddy told me you're a filthy commie and that you should be sent to Siberia. And maybe she should. Oh my goodness. some of the stuff these people push based. Oh my goodness. You know, what are you going to do? This next generation, I'm worried. No, I am too. I'm very worried. Weakness, no, no love of country and history, uh, no priorities. Confused. Out of touch with biological reality and objective truth. Right. So bad. Fetishizing mental illness on the internet. Right. Oh, well, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. But we can't do it alone. You guys have to, to talk to people as well. Talk to everyone you can about these things and call them evil. I talked about this with Jill on the, in the Okay, in the you were on too. a really good track before you said that. Wait, last what did I say? <laughs> What Talk about to evil? everyone you can and call them evil. No, 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 that's not. No, I didn't mean to say call them evil. No, I meant to say like call the the evil things out. That's oh, what I meant okay, okay, gotcha. <laughs> everyone you talk to, call them evil. Everyone you talk to ain't a white Christian man is evil. No, but like, no, I mean like talk to them and find anything that you see that is that is not good and call it out. You have to be able to call out evil and talk to everyone that you can. Right. You know? Don't call everyone evil. Isn't that what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> Just slipped out. It was a Freudian yeah. slip, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if they don't watch Will and Amla live, they're probably evil. 
which we're back on our channel, by the way. Oh, yeah. I should have so, told you guys that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were supposed to be in jail for a week, not able to be on our channel, but we appealed it. And in their infinite mercy and wisdom, YouTube let us back on our channel. So Beautiful. if you not subscribe, subscribe. I think we crossed like 17,000, 18,000 subscribers today, 18,000. So uh, join the party on the Wilnama Live YouTube channel if yep. you haven't already. Subscribe Definitely. even harder. Yeah. Subscribe even harder, Especially guys. Especially if you're a man today. They Especially want to silence your voices and your ability to subscribe to channels, but yes. subscribe even harder. Yeah. Also, leave Will. Don't uh, let those women control you. Don't let the women control you. <laughs> no, never. Leave Will a compliment for International Women's Day, since that's now Please. how he identifies. So Please. I don't even need him. Just give him to Will. I could use His it. His life is much harder than Thank mine. Thank you. My salmon shirt. Yes, pink shirt. Yes. Uh, anyways, guys, pink. Thank you so much for watching. Please Same. like, oh, subscribe. No. I I teased this last TikTok because I showed the the view of the screen. Are you going to play this one? No. No. But no. if they'd like to see it, I will close out the show with this teacher. Do it. Here we go. I, I if you were banned from teaching critical race theory, how would you continue to teach it? I'm this might not be helpful advice at all, but I'm going to do it anyway. If I were non-renewed for teaching kids to think critically about race, power, and privilege, uh, facts, and how to dismantle systems of oppression and white supremacy, uh, I'll be gone, I guess. Luckily, there's a teacher shortage, so I'll find somewhere else to do the same thing. If you were Aww, what a hopeful yes. message. I mean, it's kind of based, gotta be honest. Yeah. If someone told me and said, Will, you can't teach U.S. history or things that are truth, I would do it anyway. You have to be able to to respect the the, the diligence to the diligence uh, of some of these people, to you know, and understand that they, these people are serious. They they're not messing around. You know, even if they get banned by the law, whatever it is, they're going to keep going. And you have to understand that you have the same convictions as them on the other side, right? You won't stop just because someone tells you you're not supposed to. Yeah, but we're not advocating to go indoctrinate kids with conservative values. We're not no, advocating saying, for that. But I'm saying, like, if someone comes and tells you you can't talk about this thing that you believe to be true, you know, you're still going to do it anyway. Yeah, I guess. So. But it's just a different, it's a thing that we don't get into. Like, we don't want to come into schools and start indoctrinating kids, but they want to and they're going to continue to do it. And it's not a right thing to do. School should be completely apolitical, uh, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, just ridiculous of just, obviously, that's what she's going to do. And that's a dedication that the left has uh, that is really just unmatched they will continue and continue and continue at every single barrier placed in front of them i know them because i was them so yeah uh, coming to a classroom near you mm -hmm. yeah. just amazing well Same i wanted one. to end on a more hopeful note <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> but you guys got to see it that is our tiktok tuesday again thank you guys so much for watching we are going to be back tomorrow at 2 30 pacific 5 30 eastern for a fresh and fit and fun podcast for you guys. Bye guys. Peace.